We are back in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We've been in Galatians for a little bit, but here we go. So if you want to read or stand for the reading of God's Word, you can if you're able and capable. If not, uh, feel free to sit however you want to do this. But we're going to read 10 verses in Galatians, and we're in chapter 2 of Galatians. I did take a break last week to talk about not so much end times, but more who we need to be in the end times, which is who we need to be now, which is people who contend for the truth, stand up for the truth. And that sermon, to me, is so important because we can get caught up in a lot of the end time things um, that really, frankly, as Christ said, that, that even he does not know the day or the hour. But regardless, we have to get busy now and forever focused on proclaiming the truth that God has called us to. And I think it's amazing that every book leading up to Revelation has the same mentality, that we are to contend for the truth of God's Word. Amen? In Galatians, here we have a second part. We started in verse 11 that, ba- that uh, Paul was called by God, and he's continuing that conversation. And so chapter 2, 1 through 10 is a continuation of last time. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. That's important. Why did he go up? Because of a revelation. To set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or that, or, uh, sorry, was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not a force to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our, our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, say that with me, our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, last week, here we have the same thing, contending for the truth. Preserved for you, verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were, were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uh, uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, where he who worked through Peter uh, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for, uh, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, you may be seated. We are going to be dissecting Galatians here. So Paul, he contends that there is only one gospel. If you tweak it or make any variation to it at all, it actually ceases to become the gospel. Amen? Now, we've been talking about that for a couple weeks, and we started this series with a discussion about counterfeit gospels, cults, and different things like that. And here we see very clearly that Paul is trying to say there is some people that have come up, we're going to call them Judaizers later, there's some weakness of some apostles who are starting to flirt with the mentality that these Judaizers have, and Paul is the one saying, stop it. 
He's here to contend for the gospel, for the truth of the gospel, nothing less but the gospel, nothing plus. Amen? Church, and we need to understand that he, he terms it as slavery. They came up against the freedom we have in Christ to put us back into slavery. And he says anything added to the gospel is moving you towards slavery. Amen? So that's what we see him saying. In fact, the second that you do, it isn't the true gospel anymore if you add or take away. The gospel is about God giving us his righteousness and that giving of himself being acceptable to God the Father. That is what the gospel is about. So I want to start with some ground-level skepticism. There's a type of skepticism you are prone to hear. If you're telling people about Jesus, you will encounter this. You have encountered this, or you will. Several things. We could list off multiple questions, but I'm sure if you are living for Jesus and talking to people about God, one of the questions you're going to get is, if God is good, then why do these things happen? Why do these bad things happen? You're going to encounter questions like that. There are questions like, do I really believe Jesus is the only way to God? You're going to encounter that. As I've said before, I remember someone in my life that said, all roads lead to heaven. And that was never true. And I always heard it growing up. There are questions about what I believe about the Bible. Would a good God actually send people to hell? Another, again, ground skeptical kind of level that if you are telling people about Jesus, you're prone to hear questions like these. What about... The church is filled with hypocrites, right? That's a very popular one. Why would I go to church? They're a bunch of hypocrites. Actually, it's easy, and absolutely we are. You ought to join us. I think you'd find a real home here. That's what I would say to you, uh, since you're so inconsistent yourself. Yes, the church is full of hypocrites, but it's also a place of a lot of people finding Jesus and coming with their flaws and encounter God. And the second you came to church thinking you're righteous and holy and that's why you're at church, you missed the whole thing about grace and mercy. This is not a place for righteous, perfect people. This is a place for people who proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ and come every week and say, God, forgive me, thank you, help me, fill me up again so I can go continue to do your work. Amen? Not a place for perfect people. It's not what church is. So, sometimes it's birthed out of real life scenarios. My family member is going through cancer, and so people have a skepticism towards God because birthed in a real situation, they're wrestling with God in the midst of those things. And nine out of ten times, it's just life experience not jiving with their understanding of what we're saying. There's something not connecting there. Other times there are people who are ultimately just argumentative. They aren't interested in Jesus. They just want you to be impressed with their intellect. There is no intent to listen to you. You see this a lot with the Pharisees. When did the Pharisees ever actually debate with Jesus and get anywhere positive? They don't go anywhere. It never goes anywhere with the Pharisees. There's no intent to listen to the Son of God. Finally, we have people who have academic arguments against our faith. Discovery Channel, National Geographic Channel, Disney, or History. They say that the message Jesus preached and his disciples very different until Paul came around. So they try to say, Paul corrupted what Jesus taught and the disciples taught. It was all about love, trust, and pixie dust. It was forgiveness for all. It's the kind of cheap love, like letting your children play in the street because they want to. 
That's what we see some of these places like National Geographic or Discovery or History. That is their claim about Christianity. And then all come along and hijacks the Gospels, what they say. That being said, these are a lot of skepticisms that you will hear when you are discussing Jesus and the Gospel with other people. And I think it's important that as we look at chapter 2 of Galatians and we see God or Paul's story, he's saying something in the very beginning that is very clear to him. This gospel did not come from the apostles. It did not come from me spending time with them. It's not their version of the apostles. He says it came from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? He said it took him 14 years to even go spend time with them. It was His gospel is the revelation of God. Amen? So you can have whatever skepticism you want, which is what he's dealing with in chapter 2. We have skepticism in our own time. I just listed a bunch of questions to you that if you're going to talk to people about Christ, some of them are going to have some of those things I just said. There's going to be skepticism. Well, Paul is dealing with skepticism and his call. So why does Paul go back ultimately to Jerusalem? Is it because of a doubt he had in what he had been teaching or how he had been going about doing ministry? And the answer is no. That's not why he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 2 says it very plainly. First, it is a response because of a revelation. If you look at chapter 1, verse 12, what does it say? It says this, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That was last time's. So this is a reminder that the apostle had direct access to God and he received the gospel from the lips of the invisible risen Christ. He literally heard it from God. God spoke to him, blinded him, and spoke to him directly. Very different than all the other apostles who walked with Christ. He was, again, murdering Christians. He is the absolute story of what God can do in terms of forgiveness and mercy. And how he can even call the worst sinner in the room and watch what God might do. That's Paul's story. Second, it's due, uh, it is due to what was threatening his fruitfulness. So, one, he has a revelation from God. And that's why he goes and does this. Secondly, the fruitfulness in his church, such as Galatians, is at risk. Because of what these Judaizers are doing. And how the apostles are acting regarding these Jews. And Paul is saying, you are threatening all that I'm building. God has called me to the Gentiles. And everything that you guys are doing, kind of playing along with these Judaizers, you're risking what the gospel is and how God's moving in the Gentiles. So he is very aggressively trying to say, this is not okay. And so he does have the skepticism, and he has some skepticism among people who claim to be believers. So Paul is bold and determined. That's what you see here. If the other apostles did not confirm his message and renounce the false teachers, it would be very hard for him to retain his converts. He needed them. He needed to come to them and talk about the gospel and what is the gospel and make sure that they understand, yeah, that is the gospel. What Paul is teaching is the gospel. And so that's what he's coming for. And he knew it was affecting the Gentile churches and the other places that he had gone. False teachers were telling these young Christians that Paul was preaching a gospel that was inadequate and not as full as the original apostolic gospel preached in the Jerusalem leaders. They insisted that Paul taught an easy beliefism. That was his very own message is what they kind of said. So easy beliefism is the mindset. 
that Paul just makes it real easy, makes it real simple for anyone to believe, and that's not what Paul is teaching. He's teaching that the gospel alone saves. Now I want to pause there for a second because I've said this when I talk about counterfeit gospels, when I talk about cults. We have something in us, and I don't know how to say this other than you have to pray and think about this for yourself. There's something in us that needs to, to be on par with saving ourselves. We need a part in saving ourselves. I don't know what it is about mankind that we can't just accept the gospel for the beauty of what it is, but why does this keep happening? Why does man-made religion keep happening? Why do we always feel like there's got to be more or I've got to do this? Because we just can't accept that the simple gospel message is that Jesus Christ is enough for you. He died on that cross and he exchanges his righteousness for your unrighteousness if you put your faith in him. That's the gospel. Not gospel plus 15 years of following him and here's what it looks like. This class, you need to take this class. You need to do this. You need to have this list of things that you need to pray this, pray this, do this. No. The gospel is the gospel. It's a story of what God did on that cross to allow for you to be right with God. It's a story of him sacrificing his life and saying, you have the opportunity to walk as a son and daughter of God. Doesn't matter about your nationality. Doesn't matter about your race. Doesn't matter about how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It matters what he did. And he exchanges his unrighteousness or his righteousness for your unrighteousness. Now, in that, if you have accepted the gospel, if the Holy Spirit has entered into your life, you will be transformed. So, there's gospel, and then there's a whole other term of living out your faith with the Holy Spirit residing in you, showing evidently that you're changing and you are His. That's two separate theological categories. But that life where you're changing is not the gospel. The gospel is the message of what He's done on the cross. And then God promises the Holy Spirit where He will sanctify us. And we know we're becoming more like Him because we look back at our life and we're not the same. The more we study God's Word, the more we are just excited about the things of God. No longer are our pursuits the same as when we were lost. No longer is it all about my checkbook, all about my lust, my desires, my whatever it might be. Now it's changed towards what, what are the things God cares about? What are the things that He's called us to have passion for that are beyond me, meaning the kingdom, advancing to all nations, all people, in our own community, the lost people that need Him, not us judging and looking down like the Judaizers trying to convert them into being Jews. No, no, no. Seeing them right where they are and just sharing and starting with where the gospel is. The gospel. The gospel. So we can get this confusing thing where we start looking at all these other theological things that we all start merging into the gospel. No, no, no. The, the gospel's a simple message. It's what he did on that cross and everyone has an opportunity to encounter the message of the gospel and repent of their sins and say, God, forgive me. Everyone. This is for anybody, no matter whom I'm coming across. Amen? So I say that to you because we have this bad pattern to want to be man and make religion in our image. And then we get to tell people, right? Because that's naturally what happens. Now I tell you who's righteous and who's not based on my standard and my religion and what I think that means. Have you ever been around those people? They've got this list of these things, and then you're like, you know, if you're going to follow the whole Torah and the Old Testament, you can't wear shirts that have these linens that are the same. You, you do know that, right? Oh, we ignore that part. <laughs> we, 
We just pick the parts. I mean, we, I, I care that, you, you know, that you're not doing this. I care that you're not doing that. But I'm going to pick and choose in the Old Testament what you need to do. And then I'm over you, right? That's not what we've been called to. So that's what's going on here. They're accusing Paul of easy beliefism, that his faith and what he's teaching, the gospel he's teaching, it's too easy. It's too easy. They need to be Jews. They need to be circumcised. They need to, they need to go back to the Old Testament and follow all the rules like the Jews did. That's what they're trying to say. And Paul says that is not what God called him. And again, the revelation that God gave him, that's not what God called him to. And by the way, Paul wanted to go minister to the, to the Jews. Y'all know part of Paul's story of him being shipwrecked is not out of him just having a tough time. It's out of his disobedience. God says go to the Gentiles, and he says, no, I want to go to the Jews. And God shipwrecks Paul because he says, you will go where I've called you. Part of Paul's suffering is because he wants to do what he wants to do, and God says, I've called you to the Gentiles. Amen? Now that's the truth. And so here he is again fighting and contending for the Gentiles, which... You know, logically, in his mind, he probably would have been one of the ones that's like, tell them to be like Jews, because that's what he is. But that's not what the gospel is. That's not the revelation he received from God. That's not the marching orders God gave him. Amen? The gospel. Paul knew his message was God revealed and therefore true. But he would not be able to keep his churches in sound gospel teaching if he could not disprove this falsehood. That is why Paul feared he wasn't in danger of running his race. That's why he feared he was, that he was in danger of running his race in vain. He was afraid that his ministry would be stifled, relatively fruitless, because of this problem of false teachers. So if we take Paul at his word, that his fear is fruitfulness, that his fear is that he's running his race in vain, if we take him at his word, what does that mean for us as a church? The gospel has to stay pure. Amen? It's been passed down from Apostle Paul. He had to fight with the Galatians, the Judaizers. He had to fight with the apostles to say, hey, do not change the gospel. And guess what we as a church have to contend with? People trying to come in and do the same thing. Gospel plus. And I'm sorry, you know, we get in this weird place that we start hearing and we, we all want to be positive. We all want to be the kind of Christians that anyone that calls themselves a Christian, we're like, yeah, us too. But then when you hear a Christian who believes gospel plus, you have to ask yourself, are they Christians? And you have to ask questions to them. What, what is the gospel to you? And if it's gospel plus, I have to do this many Hail Marys. I've got to do this many this, that. I've got to go better ba baptize your baby right away because if you don't, they may not go to heaven. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Amen? I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable, but the gospel needs to be pure. And he, Paul, is saying fruitless in ministry. He's saying he's running race in vain if they don't hold to the gospel purity. Amen? So I understand it can get offensive, but folks, this is what Paul is saying to us in Galatians. We're missing Galatians 2, 1 through 10. If we walk out of here and say, it's okay, add anything to the gospel means nothing. No, 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 no. It's gospel or nothing. You've added and you've changed the gospel. It is no longer, no longer the gospel. You no longer have the freedom that I'm saying, why don't you just accept it? We don't have the freedom anymore. Now it's man-made religion and we're trying to earn our way to heaven. 
And that's not what Jesus Christ died on that cross for. He died on the cross that you would put your faith and trust in what he did and accomplished, not plus you, what he did. Amen? And we humbly, which is the hard part, bow our knee and accept that his sacrifice on the cross was good enough. It was good enough. And now I'm going to live the rest of my life knowing what he's done for me, and it's called worship. Not Sunday morning singing some songs. No, every day of your life, the life you actually live is in worship to God. Amen? We don't do it out of, I have to do this to get saved. He already did it on the cross. I worship out of obedience because I'm a son of God. And the Spirit resides in me, and I just want to worship my King daily because it's who I am, not to impress, not to earn He's already accomplished, and what he did on the cross is enough. Amen? So Paul is passionately fighting for the gospel because he knows he's running his race in vain. If we don't contend for the gospel, we're running our race in vain. Our life is fruitless in our ministry if we're not contending for what the gospel is that Paul clearly is defending. Thirdly, Paul's trip was not for fear that the Jerusalem apostles didn't have the true gospel. So he's not going there to say, I'm afraid they don't have it. That's not what he's doing either. What he did fear was that the Jerusalem apostles might not be true to the gospel. That's his fear, that they're starting to let Judaizers come in and they're starting to sympathize with Judaizers and they're making it hard for whom? And this is why he's writing this. Galatians, the people that he has already come and led to God. And now we have these false teachers in here and we've got these apostles buddying up with false teachers and it's becoming a problem for his converts. And so he's not coming up here fearful that they don't have the gospel, but he is very much fearful that they're starting to do this little playing around with the gospel that he's saying we can't do that. So that's why I said bold and determined is what we see in this passage about Paul. So he's afraid that they may not stand up to the false teachers but rather allow their own cultural prejudices to entice them to let these teachers continue to make such damaging claims. Now, I need to say this to you. Don't be offended when someone stands up and says, anything plus the gospel, that's not the gospel. Don't get, well, i got some friends who, who are this or that. I got it. I do too. I've got family. And I believe some of them are Christians. But what I am saying, I do have to say, and we as Christians should say, is gospel plus anything is not the gospel. That we do have to say. We do have to stand by. We do have to communicate. We have to carry a burden in our heart for those who don't have a pure gospel. You say, I struggle to evangelize, Ben. It's hard for me. Let's start real simply. Your friends who say they're Christian, ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? Ask them, what is the gospel? How do you know you're going to make it to heaven? And if your friend says, I don't know, I hope I get into heaven, they don't know the gospel. Amen? You don't got to go Bible thumping on someone on the street to just have a conversation with people who already tell you they're Christians and ask them, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to, to understand the gospel? What are the implications of the gospel in your life? How do you know you're going to be in heaven one day with your family that you're placing all your hope in? How do you know? Well, I hope they say, I know because I plead the blood of Jesus. Not, I hope I've lived a good enough life. You can't. You cheapen what he did on that cross when we say, I hope, 
No, no, no. He either did or he didn't. Did he resurrect? Then the same power of the Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead resides in you if you are a believer. And if he doesn't, you ain't a believer. You got a bigger problem. Amen? So, that's what I'm preaching today. I'm trying to get in touch with my Paul here. Be firm. Thirdly, again, Paul's trip was not for fear of the Jews, but because of uh, Jerusalem apostles, but that they are letting their cultural prejudices set in. So there's two sides. Judaizers versus Paul's gospel. The gospel of faith in Christ is for people of all cultures, all people, all tongues, all nations, all, all. That's what he says. It's for everyone. Not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish is what the Judaizers are teaching, and that's not true. That's not what Paul's call was. That's not what God told him to do, and that's not the gospel message. They did not have to become Jewish. Could you imagine how hard it would be if someone converted? Just, just go with me practically here. An older man, 30, 50, comes to Christ, and I say, well, it's one thing for me to sit and talk with someone who wants to be a member of the church and say, hey, you know, we got to talk about baptism. If you had an infant baptism, you know, we believe that baptism is a decision. As an adult, you make it because you, you're compelled by the Lord to, to say, I'm one of you, I'm just like you. That's, that's a different conversation than me coming to someone saying, yeah, you got to be circumcised. <laughs> for you to become a Christian, you're going to have to do the circumcision, buddy. And then, we, I mean, we could play this out a little further, but... That's not what we've been called to do. We're called to proclaim the gospel, not the gospel plus circumcision, 30-year-old guy. Go to the doctor. That's, do you see how confusing this could really be? And who makes the, which rules do we follow and don't follow? It gets really complicated. This is why Paul is very clearly defending this. Paul knew that he had the Jerusalem apostles sided with, or even moderately tolerated, moderately even tolerated. This is what I'm saying today, guys. Those who were teaching against Paul, this would have split the church in two. It would have split the church in two. It would have been divided, and it would have been this really, really confusing thing. So Paul is being bold. He's coming to the other apostles and says, hey, we've got to get this right. We've got to get the gospel right. We can't be doing this plus anything here. You've got the gospel. I've got the gospel. These Judaizers are coming in, and they're adding to the gospel, and they're confusing all these converts we got to get this right. And so Paul is boldly standing up for that. So, why was this meeting so important for missions? The other apostles hadn't worked out the implication of the gospel for Gentiles who were converting from paganism. Their focus was mostly on Jewish people. They hadn't come across the problem of when you're dealing with a Greek or a pagan and they convert to Christ. Now what does it look like for you to follow Christ? That's not something that had, they had been seeing like Paul is seeing. Paul had worked through those implications way more than them. So they simply had not confronted most of these issues practically. Christians having to eat kosher could easily have been a small mistake, but the ramifications of a small mistake would have been enormous. Just the same as me saying what I said earlier. If we have to add all these things for someone to be saved, we have now made it extremely confusing to be believers. Okay. So I think I got my point across there. Verse 4, he tells us that our freedoms we have in Christ was under threat. Such belief is actually, he uses the term slavery. So this is not my turn, this is Paul's term. Verse 5, just like last week, says thus the truth was at stake. Just like last week when I was pleading for you to contend for truth above all. 
Well, here we have Paul saying, if you add on to the gospel, you're going into slavery. Now, what is the implication of what I just said? Your friends who say they're Christians that have the gospel plus, what would Paul say they're living? They're living in slavery. They've missed the freedom of Christ that comes from the gospel's pure message that he has done enough for you to be right with him. And it's not about living a perfect life. It's about being a person that lets the Holy Spirit continue to work in his life. And the implications of being a believer, which comes with repentance, which comes with constantly trusting God with our challenges of anxiety or whatever it might be, that, that, that works out through the Holy Spirit residing in us. But what he says is it's slavery is what they're contending for. If Paul's gospel doesn't win, if the church splits into two, there's a whole massive group that are going, going to be, not, instead of freedom of Christ, they go into slavery. So I need you to understand that because Paul is using terms that, frankly, we would never use talking to people in our society. But what if the same things that Paul is dealing with, we're dealing with in our own time? Gospel plus anything. Well, he says that means you are, you're, you're going into slavery. You're trusting man's religion. You're trusting the tradition of thousands of years that says that tradition trumps the Bible. Well, what is that? Slavery. Talking about traditions that a pope can change what they believe beyond what the Bible teaches, actually stand for and teach something very opposite of the gospel, contrary to the gospel. And yet we got a big problem because at Revelations at the end it says, don't add anything to this. The gospel is, I mean, God's word is clear. There's no more apostles coming. How can anybody, living man, trump what an apostle taught when God only allowed the apostles and the prophets to write scripture. Amen? So what is it? Paul calls it slavery. Slavery. This is not a small thing. This is a major thing. So this is why I'm, I'm standing on this and I'm saying this because I need you to hear this and I think it's going to increase your opportunities for evangelism just by doing something as simple as asking people, what is the gospel to them? Why do you think you're making it to heaven? Simple questions, and your friends may willingly tell you, I don't know if I'm making it into heaven. And you get to have an amazing moment of talking about the gospel with them and showing them through scripture how they've missed it. And tell them, do you trust man or do you trust God's word more? And I hope it's trust God's word more than man. Because Galatians is all about this. That they've been led into slavery and he doesn't want, he's fighting and contending for no, not the people that I've converted. They need to hold firm to the true gospel. We do too. So Titus was important. Greek and uncircumcised, but clearly full of the spirit. Barnabas was important. And the Jerusalem apostles walked the walk and not just talked the talk. Titus didn't have to be a Jew like the others at the, fel at the fellowship to receive a hand in fellowship. Verse 6, what they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. That's what we find out. God does not judge by external appearances. So church, I say that loud and clear. I truly believe when you come across someone that you think, man, this person is so rough, tough, like Man, God can't save that person. I almost always believe that's God saying, yeah, that's the person you're supposed to go share the gospel with. God likes to flex his muscles with the impossible. Have you read the Bible? 
He picks, they're like, look at all these brothers. He's like, no, it's David. David? He's playing the harp. That little sissy boy, he's going to be the one to go take on Galatians? Yeah, he is. Exactly, it's who God uses. Who's God going to use? He's going to use Paul, the murderer of Christians? Of course he is, because that's what God does. Amen? I mean, we could go down the line. This is how God operates. So you may come across some of the roughest people, and you don't need to judge by external appearances. And as a church, we don't need to judge people by external appearances. They can come in as they are, whatever. And I can't tell you how many people I've encountered in my life that look like homeless people, and you find out they're millionaires. Go to East Texas. Some of those guys have mega, mega oil money, and you would never know. They look homeless, but they are not homeless. They are millionaires. Okay? You never know. And guys, I want to remind you of something because I had an experience this week that we entertain angels at times and you don't even know. Do you take that serious in Scripture? I know I've seen demonic and I've seen angelic. And sometimes I don't know what's what. But you don't know. We are not to be people who judge by external appearances. We should never have this mindset of, this is how you need to dress to come to church. That's dumb. That's not in the Bible. If we're to dress more like Jesus this time, y'all need some sandals and we need some dresses. <laughs> but we don't need to judge by external appearances. And, and to the heart of the matter, when he's talking about Titus, we don't need to be pe- people telling people. It, again, it's the gospel. We don't see this rush of, Titus, we're going to reject you because you haven't been circumcised. No, 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 they accepted him. That he received the right hand of fellowship because you can't stop what the Spirit of God's going to do in someone's life. You don't get to pick. Just like you don't get to pick who's a son and daughter of God, you don't get to pick who God chooses to use mightily. You don't get to pick. You know, I'll tell you what. When I was in, when my first years at Sagemont, when I was in seventh and eighth, man, I was nuts. I wasn't churched, kid. I was, I was crazy. I was the kid. They were like, oh my gosh, you could tell this, this guy, he, he, did, he didn't know the etiquette. And I was the bad kid. But God had a plan for me. He had a plan for me to be in ministry. But I was, the, I was one of the crazy kids. Okay? Uh, they didn't throw me out, but it was one of those people laugh now. They're like, we, didn't, we did not see this in your life. <laughs> so you never know. You never fully know. So keep that in your mindset. Verse 6 says, added nothing to me means they added nothing to my gospel given from God. Furthermore, their acceptance of Titus was proof that they accepted Paul's gospel. They didn't add anything. And so again, these are detractors that are saying things against Paul. And Paul is saying, they, they did not add anything. Me going up there and meeting with them had nothing to do with the gospel God gave me. He gave me the gospel and the same gospel God gave them. And I wasn't coming to change the gospel. They weren't going to change the gospel. They didn't add anything to the gospel. The gospel is just what it is. And he's confronting them and saying, start living by the implications of the gospel. Stop burdening people to come to Christ through making it something else religion. And we do that sometimes. Just come in, accept the gospel, let God work in your life. And they were like, yeah, but how about no, but accept the gospel and watch what God might do in your life. Study the word of God. Watch what God might do in your life. Turn your life to him. See all your problems through the lenses of scripture and let the Holy Spirit stir in your life and help you and watch what God might do. Amen? Not all these reasons, and then we'll talk about whether you, you, you've done enough. That's, that's not how this is supposed to work. So, added nothing to me. Fundamental truth we must believe. The law is to show us of our need of a Savior, a diagnostic. The whole Old Testament's point, what is the point of the Old Testament? They can never get it right. 
You can never be good enough. You can never get to the point that you live a, a good enough life to be right with God. It was never going to happen. The same places that they went to the temple and they, they sacrificed their things, they're going to come right back, aren't they? They're going to do it. They're going to leave. They're going to come back. They're going to do it again. There's, there's sacrifices for unknown sins because I don't even know how filthy I am. I'm not even aware how sinful I am. And that's all of us. And they were going to keep coming back to that temple, back and forth, back and forth, because it was never enough. It's a diagnostic. The law tells us we're sinners, and we can't get it right. No matter how hard we try, we can't ever be perfect. We can't ever be the perfect, spotless lamb. Only Jesus could. Only God could be perfect. So it is a diagnostic, but in no way is it capable of saving us. The cure, the law cannot save us, and that's what Paul is trying to say. It is the gospel, it is Jesus Christ's work and death on that cross that allows for me and you to say I'm saved. And many, again, many of us have friends who say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. It's because they don't know the gospel. And we haven't burdened our lives a little bit to help them know the gospel. If you know there already have some other religions that don't believe in the gospel, you should start having conversations with them. They read the same books as us. They have Galatians in their Bible too. And yet they haven't connected exactly what Paul is saying in this letter. That if you add anything to it, it's not a gospel anymore. But they read the same books as us. So we've got to start pointing that out to them. Amen? What does the Word say? And how did, would you, why would you believe in a tradition that contradicts the Word? If it's contradictory, it's not true. Amen? Either God's God or He isn't. Either this is His Word or it isn't. Why would you believe a contradiction? How about you just believe what Paul actually said? Amen? Okay. So, this is a truth that needs to be memorized. It will help you explaining the gospel when evangelizing. Okay, so final thing I'm going to do with this, you have homework. Chapter 7, chapter 8 of, of, of Romans to read together to really solidify this understanding of what we're talking about today because Paul says this in many other places. I'm going to read with us verses 1 through 11 uh, in Romans and then we will be finished. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Is that like one of those verses that's your favorite verse? Because it should. Hey, young ones, you need that. When your soul tells you you sinned, you're not good enough, are, am I even saved? Am I sure I'm saved? When you're going there, can you just go to Romans chapter 8, verse 4? Verse 1, and say, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who condemns you? No one. If you are in Christ Jesus, who, who can condemn you? Answer? No one. Ah, man, y'all don't believe this enough. No condemnation, right? Who can condemn you? All right, thank you. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's a key verse for us. Verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For in the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit 
to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. That's why I always try to point out the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that verse one last time. Who, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's what you need to know today. Does the Spirit dwell in you? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. A lot of good stuff there. Verse 1, we're told that we are delivered from the legal condemnation of sin. If you are a Christian, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have been freed from the legal condemnation of sin. If you are a Christian, verse 2 tells us this, we are told that we are being delivered from the actual power of sin. Salvation deals with our legal guilt, verse 1, and our internal corrupted flesh, verse 2. The Holy Spirit resides in us, putting to death the desires that we once had to more purposefully follow Him because the Spirit of God points out the sinful things and we see why would we hold on to the idols of this world that never please, but rather let the Holy Spirit entice us and excite us for the things of Him. And how does that happen? It happens by a work of God that only God can do in a person's life. You can't make someone follow God like that, but the Spirit of God residing in you will make you like Him. It will happen. It's a result. It's a consequence. And finally, ultimately, church, there's no condemnation for Christians because the Holy Spirit frees us from sin. And hear me, church, we know for certain we are out of condemnation because God has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives to free us from sin as Justin and the band come up Verse 9, the final thing I'll speak to. We should not live in rebellion. The clearest sign of our true conversion is that we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, or not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in anyone who belongs to Christ. When we receive Christ truly, we become righteous in God's sight, and the Holy Spirit came in and made us spiritually alive. So the most important question to you is, are you alive, church? Are you spiritually alive? Folks, this week was a crazy week for me. I had two weeks of tremendous, what seemed like tendonitis pain throughout my body that I could not sleep for three nights in a row before I ended up having the blood pressure issue. God released me from whatever that was, that my whole body, I couldn't even move. I don't know what happened, but God released me from all that, and that would be the day my blood pressure went crazy and I had to go to the hospital. You know, you never know what's coming our way. You just don't. People say, well, you're too young for that. Well, that's just not what God did. <laughs> he said, I'm not too young. Funny, I went to the doctor. He said, you're way better off this time than you were last time. It's like, you've gotten a lot of stuff under check. I was like, great. And then I come here and have to go to the hospital, right? I have to leave the doctor's office. You never know. You don't know about your friends. Folks, like I said, if you ask your friend, how do you know you're going to heaven? What's their response? Folks, my response is simple. I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus that when I stand before him one day, why, why should you get into heaven? I shouldn't, but I plead the blood of Jesus on my life. And if, and if God sees that as acceptable as what his word says, 
then I know it wasn't anything I did, it's what he did on the cross. And I tried to live my race running, proclaiming that truth of the gospel. Folks, we've got friends who don't believe the gospel, who aren't sure they're going to make it to heaven. And we need to teach the truth to them. Read Galatians 1 through 10. It's very clear. Anything plus the gospel is no longer the gospel. Why don't we just celebrate the gospel message together? Because he's forgiven us and we don't have to live another day saying, I don't know if I'm making to heaven or not. I know I am because I accepted Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit resides in me. And I know that the same spirit that rose him from the dead is going to resurrect this dead body one day. And I will live for eternity with him, not because of perfection or anything I did, but because of what he already accomplished on that cross. And I don't want to cheapen his grace by adding it with anything I do in life. I don't want to cheapen what he did. What he did is enough. It's sufficient. He's not dying again. He already did it. Amen? Let me pray, and I hope as we leave from here, we're zealous for the gospel and talking to friends who are not sure they believe the gospel. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study what Paul has for us today. May we encounter people in our lives in the coming days or people we already have in our lives that we can talk passionately about the gospel with, the need to hear your truth. God, we know that we need you. We need you in every day of our life, but we, God, we also need you in those moments of doubt where your scripture says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And yet we allow ourselves to feel condemned and, and, and dwell in condemnation. But God, we know that you have freed us from condemnation, that your cross and what you did on the cross is enough. Help us to be zealous about sharing the gospel, just like Paul boldly standing up to apostles to make sure that they did not confuse that gospel for the Gentiles who needed grace. May we not confuse and may we correct wrong teaching in our friends' lives that they may come encounter with the one true God and your gospel that saves. We love you. Amen.